You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is March 2nd, 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bavin, we made it to March. I can feel the sunlight becoming longer and longer and longer. It's doing great things for me. How about you? Uh, I'm excited. Like as as uh, soon as it can get warmer and the daylight saving thing switches off, I'll be happy. Like I'm missing those outdoor runs and outdoor walks. And <laughs> since I moved to a new house this weekend, I no Congrats. longer have access to a gym. So <laughs> <laughs> you have access. It's just harder to get there, right? <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> now it's really uh, difficult to get motivated to like actually drive to a gym or walk to a gym. Uh, I just had to take the elevator down in my previous apartment. So uh, yeah, I need the weather to be good. <laughs> Maybe you need to jump on the Peloton bandwagon and just, you know, get one yeah. in your office. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll definitely let you know if I end up going that route. <laughs> well, that sounds like even busy then. I'm guessing you've been in full um, pack and unpack mode then this past weekend, huh? Yep. Yeah, I got, uh, I my I deleted myself from the previous node, <laughs> Sp- <laughs> spun myself up in a new house. So uh, no, the, had a busy weekend, uh, lots of packing, cleaning, moving stuff. And I think it snowed on Friday. So mm-hmm. uh, for the movers, which I had hired for on Saturday, I had to like come in early or I think I did it on Friday evening, like uh, shoveled some snow, cleared some pathways. I was like, okay, this is going to be a thing that I have to do as a homeowner. So just getting used <laughs> to it. <laughs> Welcome to owning the home in the Northeast. Yeah. Yes, lots of shoveling. I, you know, did myself a lot of snow blowing. So, you know, I don't think you need one of those and where you are, but <laughs> yeah, not right now. I think for next winter, I think uh, I'm waiting for my upstairs neighbors to show up like they closed during the same time frame. And then we'll talk about like, okay, how can we conquer these things together? Yeah. It'll just be wild. It'll wind up being one of you. That's always yep. how it works. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> no, I hope it's not. Um, cool. Well, today is uh, just you and I today. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about Kubernetes operators and how they use storage. So back to kind of a one-on-one episode, I would call it. Yeah, back um, to but, school. Yeah, back to school. Uh, always fun to do these. Uh, but before we do that, um, let's cover some news that uh, we have going on. Why don't you kick it off? Yep. So I think one of the things that I missed to mention on our last episode was the CN, uh, survey results for the CNCF survey. Um, they came out and now it's official, like on every page, uh, we use the term Kubernetes has crossed the chasm. It's in mainstream adoption. Everybody's using Kubernetes. Uh, so uh, we link to the actual survey results in the show notes, but a couple of things to highlight. Uh, 79% of the respondents, I think, the respondents were around 1,500, 1,600 people. So close to 80% of those are using a Kubernetes hosted platform. So the number of people that are spending the time and resources to build DIY solutions and managing everything on their own is reducing. So, And then if if we like look closer at it, uh, 39% of those are running on EKS, 23% are running on AKS, 
and I couldn't really figure out the number for GKE. But <laughs> it looks like majority of people out there are using Amazon and uh, or or if not Amazon, but at least a, a certified Kubernetes hosted platform. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was one. Uh, and then we had a bunch of funding rounds and acquisitions that we wanted to cover. Uh, if we talk about funding rounds, uh, two were two companies, two startups announced something in the same ecosystem around developer sandbox environments that can be deployed on a big Kubernetes cluster. So each developer can get access to a full-fledged uh, production level sandbox on a Kubernetes cluster on their test dev cluster where they can try out any changes that they make uh, in their code base and test it out without having to actually deploy it to production or deploy it to a staging environment. Uh, the first company that raised Series A funding round of 15 million is called Octato. Uh, that's one. And then Signadot, they just came out and announced a public beta and they announced like a $4 million seed investment. So uh, again, if we follow the trend of the CNCF survey report, right? Like we have crossed the chasm. Now companies will start showing up around how to make efficient, uh, how to make use of these resources or of Kubernetes efficiently. So we have developer sandboxes. We have another company called CubeCost that again announced a Series A funding round. Uh, they they are they want to help organizations identify um, where they are not spending money effectively. So uh, com- identifying those inefficient practices, uh, pointing out over provision resources, and then those are short term fixes. But they also plan to provide uh, best practices on how to fix things for the longer term, so they don't end up getting a really huge bill at the end of the month or end of the year by just reusing Kubernetes. I think they raised around $25 million of funding round. And then from uh, an acquisition perspective, I know you wanted to talk about Robin. Uh, our friends at Robin.io. Mm-hmm. Why, don't you, why don't you kick it off? Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Yeah, sure. So Robin.io um, was acquired by Rakuten Symphony, which um, is sort of a... Um, you know, platform, uh, cloud native platform, Edge, Telco. Um, I believe Robin was a customer of theirs for a few years, but officially was acquired. So that's really exciting to see. And speaking mm-hmm. of crossing the chasm, right, we're seeing more and more of these uh, companies, such as you know our our parent company, Portworx, acquired by Pure and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, Maya Data, I believe, uh, acquired by DataCore, Susa Longhorn, uh, you know, well, Longhorn Rancher coming across mm-hmm. into SUSE. And so we're really seeing that um, that chasm be crossed. And I know uh, that's probably an overused word in your vocabulary <laughs> these days. But um, to me, it's really uh, nice to see, you know, the maturity of the market, especially in the storage space, yeah. that we're starting to see the, uh, the investment uh, and dedication to these types of workloads. So really, really good stuff. Yeah, again, I find that interesting now, Rakuten, for people who don't know, look at the Super Bowl ad, but uh, they can now <laughs> own the entire uh, Edge stack. So mm-hmm. I think Robin just fits in and they can now standardize their deployments, uh, which they did, but now they control the whole stack. So 
a good acquisition. We didn't see any numbers come out of the uh, out of any of the blog posts yet, so that's undisclosed. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I had on here was a uh, data and storage hackathon from Soda Code. If you know what you don't know what Soda Code is, um, it's uh, brought on by the Soda Foundation, and uh, I had to ask myself this as well as what is Soda, <laughs> uh, and not that uh, sugary drink that you have. Uh, it's an open source unified auto- autonomous data management framework for data mobility from edge to core to cloud. Um, oh, wow. And there's a lot of uh, components in the uh, Soda Foundation focused around data mobility, data protection, lifecycle, unified storage, cloud native storage, data governance, uh, data orchestration, data energy. That's a new one. Um, and, and they have this hackathon event going on through uh, May 25th and 26th. Uh, really focused on data and storage, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the data and storage hackathon. So um, I found this recently and a uh, really interesting piece if you're in the community and want to get uh, involved in this. It really does uh, aim at everyone from beginners to professionals. So if you just want to get involved, fix a few things, or really dive into something, I think it's targeted at everyone. So definitely uh, go check that out. We'll put the, those in the uh, show links. Yeah, maybe now that all the startups, like storage startups, have been picked up, we need some new ones. So <laughs> some something can come out from this hackathon. <laughs> well, I think we're going to see, you know, potential companies or potential projects, you know, more and more often be built on top of these core cloud native mm-hmm. storage capabilities, right? Yep. And that's the real value now is that we have this, uh, we're standardizing on what cloud native storage is and, you know, CSIs, you know, gotten to a point of maturity and these companies are, you know, finding maturity as well. Now we're going to see those other things on top of it. So what yep. what can you do in the AI space or ML space or, uh, you know, data energy space even? whatever that is, I have to actually go look that up. But <laughs> I was reading this on data energy. Sounds great. It says data energy is a new era of focus that tries to profile, analyze, and optimize the energy consumption for data Ooh. management. So uh, like every every installation comes with a sustainability report. Yeah. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I wonder what ours is. <laughs> uh, I, I just had a couple of additional things uh, sure. to highlight. And from a news perspective, uh, uh, Trillio Vault, one of the vendors in the ecosystem, announced that their offering is now available on the AWS Marketplace. So similar to how all the vendors, including ours, uh, uh, including us, have listings on the Marketplace, which gives integrated billing, flexible payment options, all of those can now apply, apply to Trillio customers as well. And then Xenos, a monitoring tool that I used in a couple of jobs back. Uh, now they announced like support for Kubernetes and adva- uh, launched advanced monitoring capabilities for Kubernetes. So doing things like overall cluster health monitoring, pod monitoring, node monitoring, dashboards. Uh, so for customers that are already using Xenos, this might be a good uh, add-on that they can get uh, as if they are starting to use Kubernetes in their on-prem environment or in their cloud environment. So again, link in the show notes uh, for the actual blog post. And that's it for the news. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right. That was a good bit of news. I feel like that was a good week. Good two mm-hmm. weeks of news. Um, some some weeks seem a little uh, slow, but this this is a fun one. Um, all right. So today's topic: what are Kubernetes operators and how they use storage? I guess less about what operators are, but we'll discuss it. But more mm-hmm. about how they use storage yeah. and uh, how it differs from maybe uh, using storage directly in pods deployments or staple sets. We'll get into it. So, Bobin, why don't you start off with that really good um, explanation about what a Kubernetes operator is, and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll double click on it. So, Okay, perfect. So uh, at a very high level, uh, an operator is a way to um, package, run, and operate or maintain a Kubernetes application. So uh, by building an operator, you build on top of the Kubernetes uh, uh, abstraction. So Let's say Kubernetes is well known for maintaining desired state of all of its resources. So these can be pods and deployment objects and and like any Kubernetes object that you can think of. An operator does the same thing, uh, maintains a desired state for a custom resource or a custom uh, application that you might want to run on Kubernetes. And one of the things that I found for like people describing what operators are, and I, I really like is operators are software SREs. So how an SRE is responsible for deploying, managing the lifecycle and making sure the application is always up and running. They make sure that the data is properly backed up and protected, ready for disaster events. Operators do the same thing uh, for applications running on Kubernetes. So automated SRE kind of thing where they understand how the application is built. They know how to deploy it on Kubernetes and they can use any number of Kubernetes resources, right? And we'll talk about how operators use stateful sets or daemon sets or deployment objects, but an operator understands how an application needs to be deployed and they understand how to maintain the desired state. So it will always keep checking whether uh, the desired state matches the current state and then how to fix it. And also the fact, uh, like if I need to upgrade the version, how to properly or in a supported way upgrade an application or uh, upgrade a custom resource from a version one to version two without causing any trouble uh, issues with the application. So Operators are software SREs. I think one thing, if you uh, want to retain, that can be my one key takeaway. <laughs> yeah, I really like that analogy. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, in my mind, you know, I pick my favorite SRE and I just like, you know, dehumanize them, turn them into like a Terminator SRE in my head and just have, <laughs> you know, I see them just like doing a whole bunch of things. Even the Kubernetes um, documentation says the key of a mm-hmm. human operator is to manage that set of, uh, service or set mm-hmm. of services and, and really you are codifying that, right? Yep. And and um, in the Kubernetes documentation, also really the key point of this is you're extending Kubernetes, right? It's um, you're taking core capabilities of the Kubernetes orchestration system and extending it to do some more interesting things, specifically around um, you know control loops. The thing that they uh, talk about, which is a good analogy, is a thermostat, right? You're always mm-hmm. uh, watching the temperature whenever it changes, and you you know, need to change something about it or take action, that happens. That's what an operator is doing effectively is looking for something new that someone needs, an upgrade, a management of something, deployment, you know, those kind of things. So um, really 
really a lot more that we could dig into as far as what operators are and what they do Mm -hmm. but we're going to change gears and sort of dig into how they use uh storage and maybe some of the examples that we have um that we can talk about so the first thing i want to say is that operators um given that key component that it's managing other things and extending Mm -hmm. Kubernetes, operators actually wind up managing existing resources or resources that Kubernetes already understands. So we've on this show talked about pods before. Uh, We've talked about deployments before. We've talked about stateful sets before. And each one of these things can use storage, whether Mm -hmm. that's through defining a, a persistent volume claim tied to persistent volume or having a persistent volume claim template like those used in a staple set. Um, and ultimately what's happening is that the operator has some sort of input. Now this varies, I think, across many of the operators on how they're actually configured. Cause there's not really a standard way that they say, you know, hand them a storage class you want to use. Although ultimately that's usually what it boils down to is yeah. that your operator has some sort of input of, hey, what storage do you want to use? And that usually comes in the form of a storage class as a, you know, as an SRE also would probably be involved in knowing what that storage class can provide as far as, you know, IOPS and performance and, uh, you know, data protection, Mm -hmm. those kind of things that are defined in the storage class. So you wind up giving the operator this thing and say, I want to, I want to deploy this thing that you're managing. And maybe it's a, uh, a Cassandra cluster, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I want you to use this type of storage class because I know this Cassandra cluster is a development storage class. So here you go, Mr. Operator. I want a Cassandra cluster and I want you to use this storage. And that's that's kind of the beauty of it is is you're you're really only giving um a minor amount of configuration and, and understands the rest, right? Yep. You don't have to understand how that thing is actually deployed, how um, it comes up one node at a time, like in a stateful set, a lot of that's already managed, uh, you know, how to run a specific version. A lot of that's just in a basic configuration file. Um, and, and like, yeah, go for it. So, uh, and other way to look at it, right. As you said, uh, all we need to do from a storage perspective is provide that storage class. Uh, and that like, if the other way to look at it is operators care about applications first. So they try to abstract mm-hmm. away how that application should be deployed on Kubernetes and what are how many resources should be deployed and what different kinds of resources should be deployed. But that's the benefit of using operators for applications with an, uh, an, a cloud-native storage layer that understands how these applications write data to the underlying disk. So mm-hmm. the operator can make sure that your application is deployed and or maintained and operated and upgraded successfully. But when it, it, that's where it ends. Like after that, the storage is handled by a different entity. So there is some sort of uh, sandboxing or shared responsibility here that makes sure that your application is successfully running and gets the best performance storage on the back. Yeah, and th- and that is a sense that storage classes do make that storage component mm-hmm. pluggable in a sense. But that's also where things get a little muddier, right? Um, now, depending on what operator you're choosing, that operator has some opinion built into it, right? Mm-hmm. As an individual SRE, you manage a, a service a certain way. You use a certain set of tools to do certain things. An operator is no different, right? Yep. Um, going on that analogy is that an operator ha- has a built-in 
uh, mechanism for how it does things. So whether you're using, you know, some examples for Cassandra, since we just talked about that is, you know, there's InstaCluster, there's CastCop, I think, or CastCop. DataStacks has one. <laughs> DataStacks yeah. has the Cast operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the Cassandra operator by SkyUK. The mm-hmm. point is that each of them bring various levels of features, ease of use, performance, security, documentation even. Um, And it really is something you need to research Mm -hmm. uh, because it does opinionate those things, right? Um, So for instance, all these may be able to generally accept a storage layer. Maybe Cassandra is not the best idea because sometimes it's, it's run without Yep. Without volumes. But if you're using Postgres, Postgres. yep, or or MySQL even, um, you know, you'll have that standard kind of thing to look for. How do I give it my data layer? <clears throat> and once you figure that out, then it's okay, well, how do I then configure uh you know, users or roles or or does it bootstrap, you know, actual databases for for uh for me and ACLs in there? Uh does it uh optimize the performance of whatever backend um it's really using? right? Uh, what kind of security does it automatically do? Some of the answers are it might not do that, right? Some of these mm-hmm. operators um, that are maybe open source or part of the community is those things are not developed yet or lacking or purposely not developed yet because they don't want to go down that path. Um, you know, and I think it, it goes further to say that as an operator and as a shop looking at these things, it does make your life generally easier in terms of managing deployment. Uh, many of these things in a cluster, how do you upgrade them? How do you cycle them? It, it usually um, has a lot of benefits there. But keep in mind those those uh, assumptions because, you know, you may have, for instance, a, a backup and restore, uh, you know, capability or tool or piece of software that mm-hmm. you want to use for your applications. Maybe, maybe you're already using it. A lot of these operators will sometimes have a built-in mechanism for how to backup and restore that database that it manages. Meaning uh, for Postgres, maybe it uses uh, PG backup, PG restore, mm-hmm. right? It's it's looking directly at the database. It you know has an input of some object storage, uh, but maybe you use a tool like Valero or something like that, that looks at all of the applications in a, in a namespace. Um, and you want to still use that. Well, you want to make sure to test those things. I know, uh, personally, Bavin and I have tested a, a number of these things. And sometimes some of these operators make assumptions about, um, how those things work. And, um, there are challenges. Uh, I'll stop there. Cause I feel like I've been talking a while <laughs> <laughs> and, let, and let you chime in. <laughs> no, uh, and, uh, no th- those are good points, right? Like PG backrest. And like, if you're using Postgres, if you're using Cassandra, each operator might have a different answer when it comes to backup and restore or when it comes to uh, security. You just need to find out whether you're comfortable using different solutions for different applications running on the same Kubernetes cluster or you want something that's more unified that can be that one single tool, one single pane of glass to manage all your different applications. So that's one. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was whenever we think about operators, for some reason, I I always think about databases. But as I was like... Mm taking a step back and thinking about this episode, uh, like there are over 250 operators available or, or close to 250 operators available on operatorhub.io. Portworks uh, gets deployed using an operator. So it doesn't have to be an application. Even some of the infrastructure components that are essential for your applications mm-hmm. are used and deployed by operators as well. And the same thing 
the same logic that we mentioned earlier in the episode of how an operator understands a custom resource. Uh, they can do it for any kind of thing that's deployed on Kubernetes, not just database. That's where my mind goes. But again, just wanted to like expand and talk about any any application or infrastructure that's running on Kubernetes can yeah. be automated using operators. <clears throat> that's a really good point, right? We're talking about how operators use storage, but there mm-hmm. are a lot of them, right? Across mm-hmm. verticals in AI, runtime, uh, big data, uh, databases, as we're generally talking about. Yep. Uh, just drivers and plugins, right? Itself, monitoring, networking, all sorts of stuff. Um, and they, they, to that point, they have a bu- they have levels associated with them, actually, um, which is worth talking about, right? There's actually a level one through five operator. Yep. Um, and it really, you know, as far as database goes, you can put this into that context, but there's like level one is basic installation. Mm-hmm. So can you automate the application provisioning and the configuration management? Does that make your life easier? Yes. Level one is very useful. <laughs> and and there's level two. 50% of the operators available. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, level two is upgrades, right? Can you patch your software through the operator lifecycle? I mean, can you just tell your operator, I need to patch this thing that's already running um, and, and manage the actual upgrade during that whole thing? Then level three is full lifecycle, meaning the storage lifecycle, things like backup, uh, mm-hmm. failure recovery. Uh, we mentioned a couple of things about backup. Again, they all do these things differently. So just because they're level three doesn't mean they do it the same way or take the same tactic, right? Um, level four is deep insights is what they call it. But really, that just means metrics, alerting, logging, those kind of things where it gives you some analytical focus of what your operator is doing. Now, yep. again, I feel like some of these are um, you know, the more levels you generally think are better, but um, in some cases, I feel like you might want to run those things on your own or have your own insights and metrics and law. You don't necessarily want the operator to do everything. So you just want to keep in mind of what it actually does. And, you know, hopefully they have, you know, little knobs you can turn those things on and off. And then level five is the top one, which is all around auto automation. They call it autopilot mm-hmm. uh, around uh, horizontal and vertical scaling automatically configuration tuning, um, detection uh, for issues, scheduling, those kind of things. Uh, sort of the uh, taking the op- taking the person or human operator out of it even more, right? Yeah. Uh, detecting what what the application needs are of while it's running. So I know that's like to understand all those five levels. Thank you for bringing it up uh, and talking through it. Like that's really helpful. You need to understand how each operator works and what it can do for you and for your application. Uh, And one other thing to highlight is like if you're using an operator, it's not necessary that they'll just deploy a certain type of resource. So like, oh, if I'm using the Postgres operator or the Cassandra operator, it will just deploy deployment objects for me. An operator based on how the application should be running on Kubernetes can can deploy deployments and stateful sets and daemon sets at the same time for different Mm -hmm. components inside the application. And it understands, okay, if you have to push it from version one to version two, it needs to go and update those different Kubernetes resources. So it's not one or the other. It can be a combination of different Kubernetes resources that are managed by an operator instance. Yeah, that's a good point. And I want to um, I want to just say that operators really uh, do focus on trying to make things repeatable 
and easy to use, right? Mm -hmm. um, at least that's, I think, one of the biggest uh, values out of an operator is you're getting this thing that's standardized. You know when you create something, it's created the same way. It's very repeatable, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes those are hard to do when you have a lot of uh, you know, touch points or vectors that your DevOps teams may be uh, if they're in complete control of how things are, are developed. So, um, yeah, well, another benefit is like, I don't need to understand how each and every application should be deployed. I just need to know how the operator works right. and what the YAML file should look like. And that's it. Like the operator will handle the deployment and lifecycle management for that custom resource or custom application for me. So uh, as a developer, I don't need to understand how any of these databases are, are, are do work and deploy. Just install all the things, Bavin. Just yes. click and away. Keep, <laughs> keep scaling your Kubernetes cluster. That's where vendors like KubeCost that we discussed in the news will make their money and ra keep raising those funding rounds. <laughs> there we go. So, um, you know, I think that's a good place to at least change uh, the topic a little bit to, um, you know, operators. I think we see the value in what they do, what they're really trying mm -hmm. to do. But, you know, maybe we can talk about, and this is, you know, our own opinions, but what do we feel like we, they should do differently? What are some of the challenges, right? I, and I think one that comes to mind is the pluggability component of it. Mm -hmm. Because operators can be so uh, opinionated uh, in, in what they expect to do, I, I feel like there's so many projects out there that you may have for, uh, for networking or monitoring or analytics or storage that operators have to keep that in mind as they're being developed. Maybe. Uh, maybe you want the operator for its easy ease of use around uh, the upgradability, the the provisioning, but you want to manage your own backups and restores, as we mm -hmm. mentioned before, or you want to provide DR through a different mechanism uh, than maybe the one that it thinks it understands. And I know there's some, uh, you know, there's some issues that come up when you try to use these tools together. And I think that's because uh, operators are definitely newer in the ecosystem. A lot of these um, tools that are add-ons are also newer. So I think we'll start to see them uh, formulate into uh, a way that they, they can be used together really well. And, and they can be today, uh, but it's more of those like, watch out for those red flags, right? Yep. <laughs> when you're starting to work with these tools and, and pluggability for operators, right? That's going to be key, I think, as they go along. And for me, it's uh, it's like understanding how uh, what level of functionality do each operator provide. So, like if you look at uh, the the good design patterns when it comes to operators, there are like a few that every operator should follow, uh, which they don't. But uh, <laughs> you need to find things out like okay, if you are deploying an operator, uh, is it backward compatible? Can it work with your resources that you have deployed? Uh, can it handle those application upgrades? One in, important thing was if I what happens if I delete the operator? Does it delete my application instance as well or not? Or that stays around? And uh, are these operators tested for or thoroughly tested and made sure like they work? Maybe run some chaos testing around it. Um, see how they behave in in fa different failure scenarios. If all of that information should be made more public by people who maintain these operators, that would be great for me. Like maybe do something different and like, I don't know, make it easy for her to consume. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think operators are definitely the way to go, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're definitely standardizing them. Um, and they, you know, people are using them more and more every day. It's the easiest place to start. I know when uh, we're looking at deploying something is, does it have an operator? Is there really, is there a nice way for me to start? Uh, because before it was, oh, all right, do I have to build my own YAML? Or is there yep. some 
example of lots and lots of YAML that I can go out there and pull from, right? Uh, an operator sort of takes that challenge away. So, or if I'm using a Helm chart or not. So yeah, operators is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, and there's even you know uh, operators and Helm charts that work together. Believe it or not, um, where you know Helm is managed to deploy mm-hmm. operators or the other way around. But they there is an intersection of those two technologies that is pretty interesting as well. Yep. Um, they because they are sort of interchangeable. Yeah, I think data stacks moved uh, like earlier this or uh, actually second half of last year. I forgot we are in March, uh, but I think they moved away from a Helm based deployment to an actual operator for Cassandra deployments. So I, I think, as you said, right, operators are the way forward and we should be using more and more of those to deploy resources on Kubernetes. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say there's a there's a project. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But there's an open source project that actually um, uh, encourages you to use Helm charts um, using Kubernetes operators, uh, meaning that it's a it's a, it's a Helm chart at its core, but the Helm chart itself, I think, deploys operators. Um, so it's kind of a a mashup of these. Uh, of these technologies, which, uh, you know, you may use one over the other. <clears throat> um, and, oh, it's called Helm PostgreSQL. Yeah. The, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> by uh, uh, C-E-T-I-C. Anyway, uh, a little off topic. Uh, I think that probably brings us to the end of this show and 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 um, and really focusing on what operators do and how they use storage. Hopefully that was useful for you. Um, I don't know, Bobin, do you want to take a stab at recapping some of the main points? Yes. Yeah. Again, uh, if you look at it, right, uh, Kubernetes has definitely crossed the chasm. <laughs> that that I, I keep I do want to keep repeating that, and uh, there are a lot <laughs> of funding rounds and and acquisitions happening in the ecosystem. But uh, if you look at the meat of this uh, episode, uh, operators are nothing but uh, so- software SREs. So they will help you automate deploy uh, automate the deployment management upgrades and and backup and those things for a custom resource or a custom application. Uh, there are five different levels of operators, as Ryan mentioned. Uh, starting from basic install and all the way up to autopilot. And then you need to figure out how each operator is consuming different resources and consuming storage on the backend. Uh, can Do they bring their own? Do they rely on whatever is set as default? Do they need specific uh, f- features from the cloud native storage layer? So uh, just understand how these operators work uh, is, sh- should be like one key takeaway from, from the episode. Absolutely. I think that's a good summary. So. Um, with that, this is the end of the episode. Um, re- a quick reminder to go ahead and review us on Apple Podcasts, or we encourage you to actually send a message on Anchor. Mm-hmm. If you go on Anchor, uh, where our podcast is listed, you can you can actually send us a little message if you want to um, with your feedback and or things you'd like to hear or change or topics you'd like to hear. Uh, next week, or sorry, two weeks from now, we have a really interesting topic around enterprise database. We do have a guest for that. So that'll yep. be um, really focused on EDB and Postgres and and what that looks like in the ecosystem. Um, so this brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobin. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 